0: Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice. And we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both
1: worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything.
0: And as messed up as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has.
1: Wonderful, Matt. It is that time of year. Did you notice? Oh, you're
0: so excited. Like, I'm not excited, but like I I forgot the step of pulling up the script before we started talking. And so I didn't have it in front of me at all. And I did pretty darn good. You have got to comment on our
1: intro every single time. I look forward to the episode where you don't, as do many of our listeners. Welcome back, you guys, to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Today, we're, we're in the summer period right now, and a lot of people are planning or looking for it to fall. And to be honest, like we're in July, some of us are taking our vacations right now, and we're going to start that planning here when we get back from vacations. Usually late July, early August was really that season where you would hunker down and figure out what this all looks like. And one of the key pieces of that is ultimately recruiting. Retaining is something you do all the time. Recruiting and training volunteers. And so I wanted to talk about and we want to talk about today advanced tips for volunteer training advanced tips yeah advanced tips oh my like gosh. this is next level stuff all right so most of our listeners have been ministry leaders for uh, for a hot minute or longer and uh, and that means that they already know some of the basics about what it means to lead a volunteer training and, and some of the different pieces however uh, we wanted to dive into some advanced tips to really solidify volunteer training to make the best use of that time because not all volunteer onboarding or volunteer formation, has to be done at volunteer training. So I want to just pre it with that by saying some of you already know that ongoing training is more effective than drinking from the fire hose at one two hour meeting a year, yep, right? Yep. Yeah. And so and in regards to that, Matt like tell me your ideal volunteer training length. Is it 2 hours? Is it 2 days? I've done a, tr- a volunteer retreat before, you know, like what what would be your ideal amount of time? bring the volunteers together before a semester begins?
0: You know, I think everything has changed with regards to people's availability and how much they're willing to invest in things. And so I loved, you know, the retreats when the volunteers would go on retreat with us and spend, like, even if it was just a full day, Yes, spend the full day with us. That was some of my favorite way, favorite formation. But the it just it just seems like it's getting harder and harder to get people to commit any amount of time to formation or training at all, you know, and so like the the retreat, I think, is just something that's not going to happen anymore. And maybe it does in some places. I don't know. The scarce reality
1: of time and you have to balance. Do we have a longer event like a day long retreat for our volunteers, recognizing that if we have, you know, 20 volunteers, we might only get 10 or 12 to show up to a day long commitment Mm -hmm. then what do we do or do we have like a one hour thing to where it really is just like really quick and probably inadequate in an hour or two like that's just not enough for a whole semester worth of planning and formation and, and things of that nature. Um, but you could probably get like 15 to 18 of the volunteers if you had 20 volunteers to show up. Yeah. And so how do you balance that reality? I want to share a, a, a little pro tip that uh, my sister did in ministry. Okay. She would do the volunteer retreat. Yep. And then what she would do is about a week and a half later, she would offer what she called the volunteer crash course. And so she would do a two-hour event that would be a catch-all for anyone who couldn't make the retreat. And it would be a stripped down version of the retreat where you probably pulled all the spiritual pieces out, to be honest, and just focused on the content, the training and the execution for the fall semester and everything. But she figured out a way to do both and by creating a crash course, like a a safety net above the ideal. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah the the only thing that caught my ear there was taking out all the spiritual um, yeah I don't I don't know if that's what she did
1: You do an opening prayer and a closing prayer, but you don't do two hours of adoration like they did one on Friday night of the retreat and on Saturday night of the retreat they did an hour of adoration
0: Sure but I would I would do some prayer right Oh absolutely um, I wouldn't take all of it out and and I wouldn't do just the opening and closing prayer but it, again, it all depends on what you want to communicate to your volunteers is what's the most important thing. Like you knowing stuff, or you having a relationship with God, Uh, relationship with God, please, you know, (laughs) for the win, right, (laughs) right, and 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 that brings us
1: actually to our first uh, pro tip, advanced tip for volunteer training is prayer. For prayer, we want to empower and execute at our trainings. We don't want just to we're going to pray right now, but we also want to empower because believe it or not, the average Catholic, and hopefully we have some of these average Catholics jumping on board. We also want exceptional Catholics. Mm -hmm. I don't even mind if we have bad Catholics, right? Like this is all an opportunity because you and I both started out as bad Catholics before we became okay Catholics. Like I think on the spectrum, we're just kind of inching our way up the the totem pole to where we're okay Catholics. But when we're talking about prayer at volunteer trainings, we don't want to just execute on prayer. We also want to empower. We want to teach our volunteers how to pray. Now, what does this mean in regards to our volunteer training, the prayer times? We can have prayer times where we're doing communal prayer, absolutely. Praise and worship, if that's something your volunteers really enjoy or or really it speaks to them, great. But we also need to have moments of personal prayer and reflection where we empower them. Hey, we're going to take 30 minutes in the chapel right now. And during those 30 minutes, here's a couple of different ways you could use that time to pray. And we're training them on how to have a personal prayer life in addition to offering them an opportunity to pray during training. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. In, in youth ministry, we need well-formed volunteers <clears throat> to be working with our students. And if if there isn't a mechanism in the parish to create those people, so if the parish isn't making disciples and there's no real place for that to happen in the parish, does that mean it's my job? You know, does that mean that now I'm all of a sudden the adult formation leader? And I've got to form disciples. The answer is a yes and no. It's a yes, because if you want to have those people and nobody else in the parish is creating them, you've got to create them, you know, and that has just taken a little bit of your bandwidth away from youth, you know, or from your focus, you know, because even though it's necessary for youth ministry, what you're doing now is a little bit different than youth ministry. Right. And the same thing goes for RCIA or for other, you know, other things is like, if there aren't people who are able to walk alongside you to to lead those ministries being formed in another way in the parish, then you need to be the one to form them. The best way for you as a ministry leader in charge of a ministry, the
1: best way for you to invest your time is not in those you minister to directly. Like if it's youth ministry, it'd be youth, right? But rather those who minister alongside you. So your job is to multiply that because you're going to be able to reach more youth. You're going to be able to reach more, on church, you're going to be able to reach more. Whatever your ministry is, right, that God has called you to, multiplying it by pouring into volunteers is the best use of your time. And I know that sounds crazy, but we also have to be excellent at ministering to those directly, so that those that are ministering alongside us can see a model of what quality ministry looks like. And so there's this weird dichotomy: where do we invest our time when we have a limited uh, amount of time, right? And that's something that we really need to reconcile. But Oftentimes I see people chase after the end of their ministry, and mm-hmm. youth ministry would be teens or, or children's ministry would be children, as opposed to empowering others to run alongside them. And I think that's a dangerous reality.
0: Yeah. And, and the reality, the truth that Catholics don't know how to pray um, other than rote prayers um, is, is true. Like most Catholics don't know how to pray. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And empowering them and teaching them how to do that is a part of every ministry leader's job, you know, and if, if you aren't asking your volunteers, like fairly regularly, um, how is your prayer life going? Then you're missing something, you know, you, right. you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing.
1: And oftentimes at volunteer training, we don't do that. And that's why this is an advanced tip. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Okay. That's sad that that's an advanced tip. That is like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, well, the empowering part, everyone executes on prayer, but rarely do we empower on prayer. Like this is how you pray as a ministry leader. This is how you pray as a disciple.
0: What if uh, the ministry leader listening to this doesn't know how to pray?
1: Well, then that's something that needs to be resolved. And we talk a little bit about that in the midst of um, finding a spiritual director. Yeah. Right. So there should be. And if your spiritual director isn't helping you to pray, then you need to find a new spiritual director. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And And that's just the reality. We cannot be busy for God. We have to be in relationship with God. And there's a difference between that.
0: Well, and the reason I'm asking that is if the thought of teaching someone else how to pray makes you nervous, makes you scared, makes you feel like you don't know how to do that, like this pro tip, you know, then, then maybe the pro pro tip is learn how to pray yourself, you know, and and learn what that means and sit at someone else's feet to to learn you know, like how to pray and how to teach people to pray. And maybe like the easiest way is, you know, to talk to someone else who you've seen, teach someone how to pray. Okay. How did you do that? How did you teach them how to pray? And then you can learn, you know, from someone else who's done that. Amen.
1: Awesome. Okay. So our second tip is radical hospitality. Now we usually have a fruit tray and some cookies. Maybe we serve them a box lunch or something like that. That's typical hospitality. But for, uh, for volunteer training, I want you to be thinking, what does radical hospitality look like? If you're in youth ministry, what would it look like instead of you being there to welcome them in? What if you had some of the teens from the youth program there to, to welcome them in, to serve them lunch, to fill their cup of coffee? If it was children's ministry, what if it was just a, ch- a child coming and leading opening prayer? Yes, it would take a little bit more work and effort to make that a reality, but how powerful would that be? RCIA, again, how do we make hospitality seem more radical? So what does that look like? Maybe instead of just the uh, box lunch, maybe there's some sort of... Uh, a parent or uh, an organization in your parish that could come in and really give them like a five-course lunch. Like how crazy would that be? How loved would they feel? And then the next year, these volunteers that have maybe been coming for a couple of years and are like, oh, another training, right? Because it seems like lather, rinse, repeat in so many different ministries that volunteer training is lather, rinse, repeat. What if they're like, I cannot wait because I know that you surprise us and love us in so many dynamic ways. So think of creative ways to have radical hospitality. And maybe that even means radical hospitality. Like I want you to pray that prayer piece. Here's a resource, like here is a book. We're investing in you now, instead of giving you a Christmas gift, or Christmas ornament. Don't even get me started on the Christmas ornaments that <laughs> catechists can sometimes <laughs> receive. I'm like, give them something that will empower them and help them through the year, uh, the semester starting from the start.
0: Yeah. And another thought is like in radical hospitality is we almost always think of oh, which space on the parish campus would be the best space for this training. And there are so many other like spaces that could be better and could be like so much cooler. Like like when I was first in ministry, we, we had all of our trainings and, and a lot of our gatherings at people's homes. Yes. In someone's house, if you are able to host them at your house, I mean, talk about radical hospitality, like inviting someone into your home is a, is a big deal. And it depends on the size of the people on your core team, but you could do that in your house. And then, and again, have like some sort of surprise that like makes them think, huh, I really want to go next year. Cause like what happened last year was really cool. Um, but it could also be in one of your volunteers homes and they kind of get to help set the example of what radical hospitality looks like being a member of this team. Yeah. I've opened my house to everyone else on this team and that's what this looks like.
1: It's not just food, it's not just people, it's also the space. Yeah. One year we had our training at the uh YMCA. Now they have a camp, YMCA camp, and so you can rent some of these facilities near uh, like buildings nearby. And they had a kickball field right next to the building. Yep. So during some of our community time we, as a bunch of adults, went out and played kickball. Kickball is one of the most accessible games in humanity. Yeah. It, and it was so much fun. And it was a small enough field to where you had the illusion, like, maybe I could kick the ball over the fence. No one no one could. I yeah. mean, those, those big rubber balls are heavy. <laughs> but it gave you the illusion. It felt like you were a kid again. It was memorable. And it was something that bonded people together. And so that brings us to our third uh, tip for volunteer training. Advanced tip is... Community over content. Mm -hmm. And so you're not just training volunteers, you're building your volunteer team. And so, what type of shared experiences or community can be built in a way that makes the team solidified because there are going to be withdrawals made from those relationships? throughout the course of the year. Ministry is hard, but ministry is efficacious. And so the demands of ministry, you need to pour in and build that community so that you're not the only support system or support beam that's holding the structure up for your ministry throughout the year.
0: Yeah, so this this combined with the prayer aspect has me thinking, okay, if we had like a two hour event, like a a two hour training, I would say that 15 to 30 minutes of it is content. A big chunk of it is prayer, a big chunk of it is, is community building. And then a little bit of it is content. But that being said, if you're going to like, if you're going to do this, if you're going to invest in community and and teach them how to pray, you need to make sure that they know going into it what it is. Because if it's called volunteer training, people think, oh, I'm coming here to receive content. I'm coming here to be trained in how to do this. Yes. And and so we almost need to change the name to something set, else.
1: Set expectations. And set yeah. the
0: expectation at the beginning. Like, hey guys, like to be a member of this team, it's not all about what you know. It's about who we are as a team, how how bound together we are, how how much of a community we are, because we're going to be exampling church to these kids. They need to see us loving each other, supporting each other and praying for each other. And they need to see us as community to be an example for them and what they need to be doing. So we're going to focus on community, but they also need to see us pray and they need to know that we have real relationships with God. So, so today the training, whatever we've now called it, you know, is, is focused on community and on prayer. And we're going to dive into some content because you need to know some but the biggest thing is community and prayer, like, but setting those expectations before diving into it. Cause otherwise people like me, like, like I came here to learn how to be a, like a volunteer small group leader and, and I'm playing kickball all day right? like that. And I don't want to do this. You know, it's like, okay, well that's, you're missing the point because I didn't share with you what the point was.
1: Right. We need to set that expectation. Yeah. And the other piece in regards to it is you can, uh, one of my favorite quotes is you can build community without disciples but you can't build disciples without community. Amen. And our volunteer team needs to be a team of disciples. Yep. And so we have to create a context where we are building disciples in that. So community is more important than content. The other reason why we need to put community over content during our volunteer trainings or whatever we call them, because formation, that a like Volunteer yeah, formation. volunteer formation uh, or volunteer team day or whatever it is, um, is because content can be communicated in so many other ways. But community, community is hard. We all saw this during the pandemic when everything went to screens and Zoom and things like that. Like it was really hard to maintain community. And so when we're bringing people together, let's bring people together in a way that an email or a video or a podcast couldn't cover that same content, yep. right? If something you can that you're doing at your volunteer training could have been done in an email or in a, a, you know, a three page little packet or something like that, then shift that to a packet and focus on community or prayer during that time. Like do the things that you can only do together while you're together. Everything else be like, hey, our sessions begin in two weeks. Next Sunday evening is when we normally meet or next Sunday afternoon is when we normally meet read for one hour during that time and discern what these pieces are. And here's the 10 page packet, your handbook, your field guide or whatever it is. Um, but when we're together, we're going to be doing community mm-hmm. and that's, that's an important piece.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause the, the content you can always get in, in other ways, but the community you can't.
1: Right. And so, uh, that that's tip number three, tip number four for advanced tips, For Now I feel bad calling it volunteer training because Matt, you just (laughs) blew that up because you're right. You're right. It's not all about the content, but uh, yeah, volunteer bonding, whatever. Anyways, most people will know what we mean when we say volunteer training. So um, the why is more important than the what. So focus on the why more than the what. And that means that the actual execution of ministry is important, but it's not import, as important as the vision of ministry.
0: I just had a thought of an example. Go, go for it. So like when you when you do small group training, you teach people like how to handle the talkative person, right? the one who won't shut up. Right. And they always have an answer. They're always the first one to answer and yada, yada, yada. And you can teach a volunteer what to do in that situation. And, and they may like execute the what, you know, fairly well. But unless they know the why, you may end up losing the person. Like, so why do we need to make sure that that person doesn't dominate the whole conversation? Right. You know, and, and, and there's a lot of reasons why. And, and again, it'll it'll give them the energy to do so because it takes a lot of energy to, to manage a small group and to do all these little things well. But if I know why I'm doing it, if I know why it's important that that this be done then I'm more apt to actually step up and do it and
1: lead the small group and I think that's the that's the difference is oftentimes if we just focus on the what and they don't know the why we have people managing their part of ministry as opposed to leading their part of ministry yep and and we all hear and management is not bad it is a tool in the toolbox of leadership But if all we're doing is managing, then we're focusing on behavior modification instead of personal transformation. And those two things are very different things in the life of a disciple, Mm -hmm. right? And so we want to focus on the why more than the what. And the cool thing is, is quality volunteers, once they understand the why, they can actually get to the destination, even if they do a different what than what we thought they should do. And so now all of a sudden I have a teen in a small group or a person in my Bible study, and they come in. And it's like, hey, my my aunt just passed away. And it was very sudden, you guys. I'm really sad, right? The person who's only been taught the what is like, thank you for sharing. Now let's get back to question number three. <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But the person who understands the why says, why don't we pause right now? And journey with this person in their suffering. And let's pray for your aunt's soul. Like there's some really cool things. Like let's pray together. And that person understands the why, even though they're forgetting about the what, because, well, my sheet said that I'm supposed to ask these three questions. Yep. And then we regroup in, in 17 minutes or whatever it is. The why is so much more important. It allows people the freedom to execute the ultimate goal yeah. more effectively.
0: And if I know the purpose of the small group, And your, your small groups may be, may, may have different reasons. You know, the reason for your small group may be so that they can pass this test on the catechism. If that's the why, if that's the purpose behind it, then yes, you need to stay on task and, and talk about like stuff from the catechism. If your purpose, if your why is to walk alongside of people and then be able to recognize when they're ready for a deeper commitment to, to Christ and to his church. And then like after the small group meet with them and pray with them about that, then that's a totally different scenario of what you're trying to do. You're not trying to get through the content. You're trying to listen to that person's heart. You're trying to listen to every single person's heart in the group, find out where they are and and walk alongside them. Even like the what that I gave earlier about the person who's dominating the small group. Yes. Well, what if you don't cover all the what's like if all you're focused on is what. What if you don't cover that what that you just gave with regards to someone's, you know. Unique situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't cover that what, they're not going to know what to do because they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Right. They can't improvise because they don't know the purpose. And, and
1: the other challenge is, is those who understand the why and those who only understand the what get confused. So we had this guy, Joe, he was a small group leader. Excellent. He would do, it was an all boys small group. He would do a push up contest at the beginning of every single one of his small groups, <laughs> right? For someone else who's like on looking because we're all sitting in the, the parish hall, you know, all on different corners of it, looking over there and it's like, wait, I'm a male small group leader. Okay, guys, start doing push ups, And he stands up and just watches his boys do push ups, <laughs> Like he's missing it. He's like, no, no, Joe's doing that because that's part of Joe's personality. And yeah. he understands that to be authentically him is going to be the more effective way to journey towards our goal, our objective. Yeah. And then the boys were exhausted and tired and they also were bonded. They had a shared experience. And so they discussed better. Yep. But that's because Joe was pushing with them. The other person who's just yelling at their small group youth saying, One, it looks two, like we're supposed to three, do pushups at the four. beginning of small group. Yeah, like drill sergeant, <laughs> small group leader is not. But all he all he sees is the what. Yeah. And so the why really does empower people to have that freedom yep. to be able to say, I'm going to do it this way or I'm going to do it that way. It also says to us, I'm entrusting the why to you, yep. or really, I'm entrusting the what to you because I'm sharing the why with you. Yep. If you don't think this question is a good question for your group, skip it. Yep, Skip it. If you don't think this prayer would be good for your group and you guys want to walk to the Marian Garden and say a decade of the rosary, go do that instead. Yep. Why? Because you know the objective that we're trying to go towards, and you know the teens ultimately Our volunteers should know the people that they are serving more than we know the people that they are serving. Uh, And that's the reality of multiplying ministry. And yes, we're going to know some of these youth, some of these families, some of these different people in our ministries, but we want adults to know those youth or those people that are being served in better ways than what one person can have with 40 different relationships, you know? Yep. Cool. So tip number five in advanced tips for volunteer training is clear processes. So we've put this one all the way at the bottom because now we're actually talking about content, right? Okay. And when we're talking about content, I actually believe that uh, ministry leaders are gonna be more effective in sharing clear processes as opposed to sharing the content pieces, which could be sent out in an email or something like that. So this week, we're going to be doing X, Y, or Z in our formation session, in our Bible study or whatever. But it might be more helpful instead of talking about the different studies that we're going to do each week on the Bible to talk about. Each Bible study will include an opening prayer, a check-in of how we're doing from last week, the reflection question follow-up, the content of the study itself, shared reading, questions, and then an action item. Like that is the process that we go through. And if you need to change things around just a little bit and you want to do the action item follow-up at the beginning before opening prayer, just because some people are coming in late and that's a good icebreaker question. Great. But these are the pieces. This is the process. We show up this many minutes early so that we can have our rooms ready so we can welcome them in. Whatever it is, those processes provide the framework for the why to be executed effectively and the what to take hold and be built upon. And so clear processes are so important. I think they actually need to see with clarity, like here are the things that are expected in regards to a typical youth night or or formation session or whatever the ministry is.
0: But even, even then, the why behind the processes needs to be there. So you can't just do the what. Like, so we're sharing with you a what, but we also need to share with you the why. Like, why do you do processes? And there's multiple reasons, like just that off the top of my head, the people that are receiving that you're ministering to will be more comfortable, will feel more comfortable. If you have a class and one week you start with food, the next week you end with food, um, the next week you have food in the middle, the one week you don't have anybody teach at all and it's small groups the whole time, the next week you have small groups and that process is not consistent, then the people that come like are going to come a little on edge. Like what's gonna happen? I don't feel comfortable here.
1: Right? Is this a safe place to be vulnerable?
0: Yeah, because it's it, like everything's different. I don't know what's gonna happen next. So that process matters for them. It also matters matters for your volunteers. Same in that same side. Like the volunteers need to know. That there is kind of a routine, you know, of what we do. That's not necessarily that it's boring, but it it adds structure to what you're doing, and it it helps relax everyone. So that's one of the reasons of why to do processes. There are hundreds of others.
1: Right. And and the, and the other piece is because we would have nights that were big nights in our youth room um, or in our parish hall, and we would have them eat dinner with their small group. Why? Because. We were doing all content that night, whether it was a guest speaker or, you know, something like that, or a big prayer service or whatever, that we weren't going to break into small groups that night. Mm -hmm. And for youth ministry, like small groups are essentially your people that you journey with. And the first night we just put signs on the table. We had 300 something kids coming to our youth program. And so there's like 30 tables. We just put signs on the table, small group A, small group B, small group C. And it got really confusing. And so we even needed a process for that because... The next semester when we did that, everyone went to the table that they were at the first time. Yep. But the volunteer who set them out set them out in different areas. So we started saying upperclassmen will be on the left side. Lowerclassmen will be on the right side of the room. And this is where the ninth graders will be. This is where the 10th graders will be. So they at least had kind of a corner of the room that they knew they could look in for their small group. And that process made the chaos so much more ordered. And that helped people be like, okay, now I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Now I know where to go so that I can journey into and be more present to what's going on. Yeah. And the small group leaders, the same way, they weren't standing on chairs looking and being like, Ben, we're over here, Ben, come here. Not that Ben, the other Ben, you know, like (laughs) it was just chaos. And so clear processes helps reduce chaos, which empowers our volunteers and our ministries to do what they do so well. Yeah. And that's before we get into the content. Like that was beautiful.
0: In dangerous situations. So I don't know if y'all had an active shooter, like process, like What do you do if there's an active shooter? Or what do you do when a kid starts vomiting? What do you do when a kid starts cussing and just gets really mad and whatever? What do you do? What are your processes? Right. And those kinds of things, having those things in place, one, like before it happens, it gives your volunteers more confidence in you. Wow. You as a leader, you actually thought about all of this stuff. Yes. You know what you're doing. I I can follow you. The other thing is when those moments happen, it's like, oh. Like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Right. You know, and even the, like, we talk about this all the time when people share things um, in a small group that are private and and like, especially for young people that may need to be reported. What what is is that that process? process? Right. What is the process? What is your parish's process for reporting? And if you don't have a process that you teach to your volunteers... You need one.
1: For that specifically, it's so important to have a process there because otherwise it turns into Catholic gossip. Mm -hmm. Oh, someone in my small group shared that they were doing self-harm. Have you had anyone in your small group share that they were doing self-harm? No, let me go talk to this person. All of a sudden, there's six volunteers with the best intentions talking about a teen or someone in the program, and it's not appropriate. It needs to be shared in a specific way for the confidentiality of that situation and that teen You know, and so, yeah, processes are so helpful. And again, I think that the what can be added to good, clear processes. So, you guys, there's so much more that we could go into, but we're at time. So, those are your five advanced tips for volunteer training. Again, prayer, we need to empower and execute. We need to focus on radical hospitality, wow them with the way that you love them at the volunteer training. We need to focus on community over content, which means you might want to not call it volunteer training. We need to be focused on the why more than the what. And finally, we need to have clear processes. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation online.
0: Please send any feedback you guys have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone.
1: And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly,
0: go alone. If you want to go far, we go together.
1: Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and actually take a few minutes today to pray for your next volunteer training or formation day. Ask the Holy Spirit to go ahead of you now to make that something that is spectacular.
0: We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.